For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. One of the, the themes of, this, of the sermon this morning is being in the presence of God. So we look at Revelation, there are so many passages which show us what that's like. One of those that we see here in Revelation chapter 7 is of a great multitude praising God together. Let's start in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Well, this morning our sermon comes from... Psalm 27, that's Psalm 27. So, as I said earlier, uh, at the beginning of the service, we're, we finished up the book of Colossians, taking a short break to look at Psalm 27. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll be getting a short series on the book of Jonah. But for this morning, that'll be Psalm 27. Let's read the whole psalm together. Of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord." Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 
Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. At a, a meeting this past week, I was trying to set some long-term financial goals. What do, what do we want to do with the money that God has given us? But as I sat in that meeting and afterward, it really got me thinking. Maybe ask questions like, what do I actually value? What do I value? What, what's important to me? What, what is it that I really want to be able to do? What are my priorities in my life? Well, in Psalm 27, we see what David's priorities are. We see what's driving David's life. David shows what is most important to him. And the most important thing in David's life is God's presence. God's powerful presence is what sustains David's life and shapes David's life. David knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he needs God to be with him and that he needs to be with God. Now, God was with David, and we know that God is with us as well because we're his people. But God is with us only because of the work of Jesus Christ to save us. God himself came down from heaven as Jesus Christ, right? The Son came down to die for us, and that salvation that he has given us fixes our relationship with God. We go from sinners who are facing God's wrath, cut off from the presence of God, cast out from that presence, to now in Christ always being in God's loving, gracious, powerful presence. Now when we talk about the presence of God, we're not just talking about a place. We're not just talking about a place. We're talking about fellowship. We're talking about a relationship, and we're talking about the blessings that come from that. That's what it means to be in God's presence. All of this and more is the gospel truth that really lays the foundation for what David says here in Psalm 27. It leads us to our main point, that in this psalm, what we see is that in Jesus Christ, we have God's powerful presence with us, which is what we need and also what we desire. So again, in Jesus Christ, we have God's powerful presence with us, which is what we need, and more and more is what we actually desire. So we look at David's experience here, we'll see two points. We'll see first the blessing of God's presence in verses 1 through 6, and then second, we'll see the experience of God's presence tested in verses 7 to 14. Let's look at the blessing of God's presence. In verses 1 through 3, as David starts this psalm, David describes his confidence in the Lord's protection. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David is not confident because of who he is. If you looked at David's resume, there'd be a lot that you'd think he could rely on. He's a great warrior. He's killed many people, including Goliath. He's a strong king, a good general. But that's not why he's safe. David does not rely on himself. No, David is confident because of who the Lord is. 
not because of who he is. He says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is the source of all good things for David. The Lord is David's salvation from all of his enemies. The Lord is his stronghold in difficult times. This is who the Lord is. This is who the Lord is for his people. Think about Israel and Egypt. God called Israel out of Egypt and showed them his presence very visibly with that cloud and fiery pillar. Remember that from Exodus? He is with his people. And what was one of the first things that God did with his people? He stood between them and the Egyptians. As they came to the shores of the Red Sea and they saw the armies of Egypt behind them, God protected them. His powerful presence was a shield to his people. That's the kind of confidence that David sees here in the Lord. And David is very confident in God's protection, even in the face of very real and very dangerous enemies. David is not making up his foes here. He's not making these situations up. He says, when evildoers assail me, when this happens to me, when they're coming even to eat my flesh, it is they who stumble and fall. David is describing his enemies here like like wild dogs, like hyenas from Africa. They are attacking David, and yet David says they fail, and they fail completely. That's stumbling and falling. It's not just tripping and getting up. It's stumbling and falling, never to rise again. There's a complete victory being described here. And David says, even if there were more, even if there was an army that came against me, even if I were in a full-blown war, I would remain confident in God's protection. Now, the fact that David needs God's protection means that there are very real enemies, not just in his life, but we actually need God's protection as well because there are real enemies in our own lives. Sometimes we can read a psalm like this or some of the other ones where David describes his enemies and we can think, well, I don't have enemies like that. Right? I don't have Absalom hunting for me. I don't have Saul on my tail. Well, yes, we do have enemies. You may actually have specific people in your life who are actually opposed to you. That might be true. And it doesn't always have to be specific people, though. We have enemies. We live in a world that hates God and is making that increasingly obvious day after day. And we know that that world that's opposed to God is actually headed by the devil. He is the power of the prince of the air. It's not even just stuff outside of us. Think about the fact that our own sinful flesh inside of us is attacking us. We have enemies. We have plenty of enemies. And that means, just like David, that we constantly need God's protection. And just like David, we can be confident because the Lord is always present with us. That's what he's promised. He says, think about it, in Hebrews, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's actually picking up a promise from the Old Testament. I will never leave you or forsake you. And we can see how that actually happens when Jesus in John promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to be present with you through the Holy Spirit who I give you. Uh, The Holy Spirit, God himself... Think about this. God himself is always present with us. Right now, God himself is here with you. And when you leave here, God is still with you in all your circumstances. 
And that shows us actually something important, that God does not protect us from a distance. God is not a distant God sending out someone else to help. No, He is personally, powerfully present with each one of us as His people. That gives us great confidence because no matter what circumstances God brings into your life, no matter what enemies you face, you and I always have the powerful presence of God on our side. We've seen then David's confidence. David has that great confidence. We can share that confidence because of God's presence. Now, in David's life, that kind of confidence leads to his confession in verse 4. Look where he says. He says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What David means here is that he wants to be in the closest fellowship he can be with God all the days of his life. Notice how this desire dominates David's life. He says one thing, only one thing, is what he wants. Sure, there were other things he needed, other prayer requests he made at other times, but he says, this is the one overarching thing that is is shaping my life is to be with God. And in David's time, God was present with his people in a special way in the temple. David here calls it in the house of the Lord. And that's where David wants to be. He doesn't want to be a priest. He's not saying that. But he wants to be in God's presence. And he wants to be there because this is his goal, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's that's a really amazing poetic way to say that David's focus is on who God is and on what God desires. This is what David wants in his life. He doesn't doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be in God's presence because of what he can get from God, right? He's not focused on the gifts that he wants from God. This is not about David. This is about God. David wants to worship and serve God. I think each one of us knows what this this feels like. Uh, We go up and down, but we have this desire. Each one of us who's a a believer actually does want to be with God. We want to be in worship. And the Holy Spirit more and more increases that desire. He makes worship in our life better and better and better. Uh, It's not something we do ourselves, though, and that's one of the dangers. You are going to spiritually burn yourself out if you are just trying harder to worship God by yourself. Worship is not uh, a chore or a duty that you can just continue to do better and better. No, it's a joy. It's not something that you can just muster up in yourself. But also, we know where we are in danger when we start to view God as someone who is distant or as a taskmaster or someone who's just giving us these commands when he ceases to be that loving center of our attention. Even David didn't get it right. David says this is his desire, but if you look at his life, we know it that David failed to worship God rightly. Only Jesus, only Jesus worshiped God wholeheartedly. But that's an encouragement because it is exactly Jesus who is at work in us through the Holy Spirit to actually grow our desire to be with God. 
and to worship him. And Jesus is doing that work through his Holy Spirit right now, right in our worship time now, right as you're preparing for worship at the end of the week. All of our lives, he's working on us. But that desire, that increasing desire is never going to be satisfied here because we're not going to stay here. We weren't made for here. David says he wants to be here all the days of his life. But we know there's more coming for us in heaven. You can think about what he says in, in Psalm 23. Not just to be with God all the days of his life, but to be with God forever. And that's what's waiting for us, that our desire will only be fully met when we're with God in heaven. But that's where we're going. That's what's actually shaping our life now. And we see that on every step of our way as we're getting toward heaven, God is powerfully protecting us. That's what David turns back to in verses 5 to 6. As we look at these verses here, it's almost like there's a spiral going on. In verse 4, David says he wants to be with God. Then God protects him. And then what does David want? He wants to be with God again, right? That protection of God, that care of God drives David back into God's presence. David describes the protection of God's presence in verse 5. He says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. That's how God is protecting David. But it's more than just protection. Notice that in verse 6, it moves to exaltation and glory. God exalts the one who hides in him. He says, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And then finally, we see what David does. Notice that David hasn't been doing anything yet. But when David is described here in verse 6, he is described in worship. David will respond to God's protection with worship. He will come before him. He will enter his tent with shouts of joy and sing and make melody to the Lord. That's what's happening in our life too. That as God protects us, as he actually shows his love for us, he is actually glorifying us. He is, he is giving us that grace and that blessing. And those benefits push us back into his presence. They bring us back to him with shouts of joy to be worshiping him. But these verses really raise a very practical question because if God is with us as he was here with David, okay, we say that, but are these verses really true? Think about it. If God protects us, and if we have this description here, then why are Christians attacked and killed for their faith? You know, it started with Stephen, the first martyr. We read about him in Acts. Does that sound like God was with Stephen as the men stoned him to death? It's still going on today, right? But, but these verses here that David says, they sound so triumphant. It sounds like David didn't even get a scratch. How do we make those two things fit together? Well, we experience those same things in our lives too. We're not martyrs, but we do experience and suffer from evil in our own lives. We know what that is like when it feels like God is not protecting us anymore. But actually, even in its worst forms of suffering, even in death, God is actually bringing us closer and closer to himself. Just think about death. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back. But Christ, 
In his death and resurrection, in his victory over death, Christ has actually redeemed all Christian suffering and all Christian death. And now for us, death itself leads us directly without any stops right into the presence of God forever. Death in all its forms, physical and spiritual, is separation from God. That's the curse of the fall, to be cut off from God. And yet for the Christian, that is no longer true. The greatest curse of the fall is now one of the greatest blessings of our life because when we die, we enter God's presence. And when we are there, nothing and no one will ever be able to touch us again. So yes, we suffer. We die. And yet, we know that God is always present and he is perfectly preserving all of his saints. That's you and me. That's what God is doing for us. And David, and I hope our, us, have been encouraged with the blessing of God's presence here in these first verses. But as we see in the second half of this psalm, we don't always feel his presence. And we often have to rely on his faith or on faith in his promises. It's really what we see secondly then is the experience of God's presence tested in verses 7 to 14. This whole psalm changes in verse 7. David has been very confident up to now, but now things to seem to be really different. David has been proclaiming the blessing of God's presence, but now in verse 7 and on, he's, he's praying, desperately praying for God's presence and help. 